This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I think a lot about the idea of underappreciated players, and that's a concept and a term that is always relative, especially on the United States women's national team where there's such an abundance of talent. I'm Jeff Kasouf. This is the latest episode of Kicking Back, a podcast by The Equalizer. On Kicking Back, we talk to players, coaches, personalities, and women's soccer about their careers and the moments that define them. Today's guest is Crystal Dunn Soubier. Crystal Dunn, as you probably know her best. Crystal made her mark in the pro game as a forward in 2015, which is the same year that she was heartbreakingly left off of the U.S. World Cup roster. Fast forward to 2019, she's on the World Cup roster, the U.S. wins a second straight World Cup, and she's there as the starting left back for the U.S., while also leading the North Carolina Courage to a second straight National Women's Soccer League title as a central midfielder in a totally different system. Now we talk about forwards who can change from central to wide areas, midfielders who can change roles within the center of the park. I can't think of anyone else at this level, this high of a level, who is oscillating between such different positions for club and country. And Crystal's doing that pretty spectacularly. And I think it comes back to that conversation of how much we truly appreciate some players for what they're doing, even if they don't necessarily stand out every moment of of a game. So on this podcast, Crystal and I talk about that versatility, which she says she has a love-hate relationship with. It's a word that always follows her and, and probably will throughout the rest of her career as well. We talk about another V word, veteran, which she is certainly starting to become no longer a, a young player, but a veteran on this U.S. team and stepping into more leadership soon. And we talk about some of the critics. She says she hears the noise. She certainly heard it in France, and she certainly responded to it. We speak specifically about that 2019 quarterfinal against France, which was very much a defining moment for her her career, and certainly kicking back at those those critics. So uh, some really interesting insight here. You know, even way back before these, back to the college days, the youth days, and even the 2012 Under-20 World Cup, which a lot of people forget about, but we speak about at length here. Uh, it's, a, it's a big moment for her and one uh, for a lot of players. That, that U-20 team from the U.S. produced a lot of current senior players for the national team and a lot of current pro players in the NWSL. So hope you enjoy this podcast with Crystal. Uh, if you do, please rate and review when we finish up here and let us know what you think of it. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have missed any before this, we encourage you to go back and check them out. The more you rate and review, the more people can find this podcast just like you. Uh, excited to have Crystal Dunn here. Crystal Dunn Subier, uh, yes. with, with your married name on here on the Kicking Back pod. Thanks for joining me, Crystal. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you're holding up well, hopefully with everything going on. You're, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, I have definitely had to get creative with how I'm training and you know, what resources I have access to, but, um, Keep me busy whenever yeah. I can, however I can. <laughs> yeah, like everybody, I guess, right? It's, a, yeah. it's an interesting and challenging time. Is is this probably about as long of break as you even get or, or most at-home time in your yeah, crazy schedule? I would, yeah, I would definitely say so. And uh, my husband and I actually made the joke that this is the longest time in a row we've actually spent together. So it's been fun i feel like almost getting to know him in a different way where i'm like wow like i used to be able to drop my shirt on the floor and just leave it there and now you're telling me that i have to pick it up right away so uh we're definitely going through a little bit of growing pains in a sense but no it's it's been really good on that level to just be able to you know be with your loved ones or wherever people are spending time to just mm -hmm. have a have a chance to sit back and chill yeah. Yeah. It's a whole new level of like things you didn't even realize and know and everybody, <laughs> yeah. everybody's working from home, right? Um, yes. Well, so kicking back pod, I mean, what we want to do is kind of go back and, and dive into the career. And I think um, a lot of people probably don't sort of process. I mean, you're a full on veteran now, right? I mean, this is, you know, this... <sighs> don't say that <laughs> word. I'm not ready for it yet, but yeah. uh, I've been feeling more and more like a veteran these days. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to kind of go back into the journey a little bit to, to hear and obviously plenty more to come and, and looking forward, but um, yeah. you know, some of the stuff I think certainly you've talked about through the years and, and maybe um, you know, maybe some new stuff too for listeners, but um, you know, the, the big one here, five years on already, which even kind of saying that for me is, is crazy. But 2015, I think is a year that mm -hmm. people talk about a ton, you know, with your career. And, and obviously you've talked about quite a bit, the, the process of trying to make the world cup team there, mm -hmm. essentially the last one, you know, cut from that team. And then really the season that followed with the Washington spirit, um, which was, you know, a spectacular season on the, on the forward line. Um, mm -hmm. Do you still, kind of think about that year and how much that kind of shaped where you are to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's a huge, you know, part of things that I was able to overcome and, and kind of help me be the player in person that I am today. I think what's really crazy to think about is, you know, how bummed I was knowing I wasn't going to be a part of the World Cup. But, you know, essentially I had one of the best pro careers uh, seasons that I've ever had in my my career. So I feel like um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, bummer. It wasn't part of the, the world's cup, but you know, I still took so many great things from that year. So 2015 didn't even feel like a, you know, crappy year. It actually felt like quite a successful year. And, um, it actually was the year that I met my husband. So I feel like there was just so many great things occurring, um, well after I received, you know, the bad news that I wasn't going to be a part of the World Cup. So um, definitely was a pivotal moment in my career. And I, you know, I still think about it and talk about it till this day because it was so important. Yeah, 15 goals and three assists for the Spirit that year, which um, I think coming out of those first few years, especially of WPS, or WPS, wow, NWSL, <laughs> um, before kind of like the, the Kerr seasons and that, that, that was mm -hmm. really, except because we didn't have such kind of, individual goal scoring seasons like that so that was uh yes you know that was kind of I know you've talked about a little bit but the that motivation you felt like I think you've said before that you tried to kind of just focus that energy where you actually could and, and you couldn't yeah. do anything about that U.S. decision so it was focused on club play yeah definitely I think a lot of it was to um Mark Parsons was my coach at the time and um he knew I was a you know an attacking minded player I think that's really what 
almost freed me in a sense was I was competing to be an outside back on the national team. And I never fully felt like I was ready to be in that role. I never really felt like that was my strong suit. Um, and, you know, when I get into club, Mark is telling me, hey, we're going to feed you the ball, do what you need to do. And, and that's what we want from you. That's all we're asking from you. And I felt like, wow, this is the greatest role that I, you know, this is what I've been wanting my whole life, basically. You know, that's what I played in college. And that was the role that I always thought I was best at. So I just feel like it was, you know, a coach believing in me and, and wanting me to be the best I could be for the team and, and, you know, help the team be successful. Yeah. And, and 2016 too, with the spirit, um, I don't know how much this stands out to you, but I always think about in that final, that goal you scored from, I remember actually the press box was right sort of, it was, it was toward the end line. It was on that goal Mm -hmm. and it was a ridiculous angle. It was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like it was. there was no angle there. I don't know. I mean, you've been in a bunch of finals since and, and maybe mm-hmm. arguably bigger and obviously ones that went your way. But um, that was kind of, you know, that put a bow on your the Washington era of your career. Was that um, is that one that you sort of look back on at all or has or there been so many since? Um, no, I think I never take for granted any time that I'm in a final or playing in a big um, game. I do always remember that game. One, I've joined the enemies, I almost say, because uh, there's times they bring up that that final and I'm like, all right, guys, we get it. You guys won. Oh, my goodness. You know, and I think uh, it's just it's just funny how, you know, things happen and, and transpire in your career. But yeah, looking back on that game, you know, we I really felt like it was in our favor. We, you know, each goal was back to back. It was we scored, they scored, we scored. And then they ended up mm-hmm. tying it late in the game and going into overtime and then PKs. But um that's just sports you know those those are the games that you're like you can't take anything for granted you know even at times in that game I felt like we're gonna win it was like nah here they go they they gotta go back you know so yeah um and that's the you know the greatest thing about being in a final is is all those emotions all those uh feelings you have leading into the game and then during the game and just really wanting to put out your your best performance that's always how I've gotten through these moments is just feeling like you know I just need to try and be at my best and and fulfill my role to my best ability and, and can only ask for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about kind of the, the many finals and big games you've played in since and, and wonder maybe if that even kind of ranks super high on them, but I'm kind of wondering, you know, some players, players that have these memories that are like, they can remember a game to a T from 10 <laughs> years ago and others, you know, you can ask them about last weekends and they, they don't know what even yeah. necessarily transpired. Where do you kind of find yourself falling in that? Um, I would say I definitely remember key moments and, uh, momentum changes in, uh, most finals I've been in. Obviously I still remember Tokyo in 2020, I mean, in 2012 with the U20 team. I remember, uh, you know, national championship game at UNC. I remember definitely moments where, you know, I remember feeling like my team didn't have momentum and then all of a sudden, boom, this one play gave us all the the encouragement and, and the you know, feel goods that we needed to carry on and win that game. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I think those are moments that stay with you. And um, mm. even though being successful is obviously great, you want to win championships. I also think it's games that you come close to winning that you lose that stay with you as well. Um, so, you know, you can always learn from both the highs and the lows. Yeah, I think I think my wife thinks I'm crazy with this, but I can remember <laughs> like high school games where I missed what would have been <laughs> an equalizer or 
college games that would have been a winner. And I'm, I mean, those kind of stick out. No, those are not crazy at all. That's like what it's all about. You know, those key moments that you're just like, ah, man, I learned so much in this, this one five second play, like, yeah. you know, it was life changing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what you brought up 2012. And I think that's a good segue for, I think a lot of folks um, certainly, and I, I say this often, I guess, but I think in the women's game, especially with the NWSL, the explosion of the U S team's popularity in the last two, three, four years that there's a lot of newer fans. Um, and mm -hmm. 2012, you know, as you said, is kind of a, a pivotal year for you before even the senior national team, before the pro game, the, the U20 World Cup, the U.S. goes and wins in Japan. Um, you know, if you were to look back on that roster with you, with Julie Johnston, Julie Ertz now, uh, Sam mm -hmm. Lewis, a, a ton of talent on that U20 roster in, in a really talented field of U20 teams too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that was – felt like not only maybe a pivotal moment for a lot of players that are now on the senior team, but um, one of the best, most recent U.S. youth teams. Um, you know, you mentioned to me just before here, kind of mm -hmm. coming full circle with the senior team, the Olympics being in Tokyo. Um, what do you remember? Do you, do you all still talk about that 2012 team quite a bit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so many of us are playing in the NWSL currently or are playing professionally somewhere. So, you know, a lot of us still feel like we're the core of uh, women's soccer almost at this point. Um, and obviously going on to win it and, you know, we're the last U20s that have won it, it. It gets brought up a lot about how our team was able to overcome. And I just I, I always go back to honestly our journey within the World Cup. You know, we, we started strong the first two games. Um, we came across Germany in the third game, um, an important game, obviously, because it determines who goes first or second or who even, you know, gets in to the next round. So, uh, you know, it wasn't a great performance. We lost 3-0 and um, the disappointment in everyone's faces said it all because we really felt like we were a strong team and to, you know, be dominated in that way in group play was really hard to take, but I think we all realize it's group play. So no matter how we get through to the knockout stage, it's, it's about just making it there. So I think the team really reset and uh, regrouped and really came together. And, you know, from there, uh, it just, it went by so quick. All of a sudden we were in the final facing Germany again. And we were like, all right, guys, please let this not happen again. Like three zero, I can't take it twice in a row, you know? So right. I think going to the game, there was a lot of nerves. Everyone felt on edge, the, the, the feeling of, you know, they've, they've dominated us before in this tournament. We got to change something. We got to change our mentality or, or game plan, whatever it is. And I think, you know, as the game went on, we, we, you know, scored early. And the rest of the game, I was like, hold on for dear life. You know, it was kind of one of those games where it was like, they're so good. They're technical and tactical. And we just need to buckle in and just ride this, ride this wave. And, of course, I, uh, you know, really hold dear to my heart the, the lead up to the goal because it was a ball played out wide to me. And I took a player 1v1 and, and crossed it. And I remember I always joke with Katie Stengel how she swung and missed the ball, but it was a good decoy because Kaylee Ojai, Kaylee Watt now, um, got on the end of it and scored. So, the, you know, those are moments that I feel like I still talk to my friends about till this day. So it was really cool, definitely. And is that kind of a place where, you know, some of these relationships that are so strong now, I know you're very close with Julie Ertz. I mean, mm -hmm. is that kind of the phase at which you, you folks are, you're almost all teenagers still at that point or, or leading yeah. up into that. Is that where that's kind of developed? Yeah, because one, we're, you know, we're all going through shared experiences. We all, you know, vented to each other about all the schoolwork we were missing. Hey, what, you know, 
are you taking classes off or, you know, what's your deal? So I think it was a, a really great age for us all to feel like no one else goes through this except for us. So we only have each other to, to lean on in these tough times. And, um, you know, that's when soccer was really becoming a job, you know, without obviously having a salary or re receiving money, but you feel, you really felt like such a true professional. You felt like I need to do my job to my best ability. And with that comes a lot of pressure at such a young age. So I feel like, you know, collectively we all leaned on each other and, you know, that's why till this day we're all really close friends. And every time we compete against each other, it's, it's nothing but love at all times. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And your lead up into that sort of youth national team scene, um, kind mm -hmm. of going, going through that, uh, that process. What was that? I mean, there's, there's so much talk right now on the youth front. Obviously we're, we're recording this not long after the news about the DA shutting down. And mm -hmm. um, I know there's, you know, the DA was another evolution of, I think when you played and I know when I played, I mean, there was ODP was more prominent. And yes. Premier was the term. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, just, just growing up in, in that sort of Eastern New York um, youth soccer association area, what, you know, what was that youth process like? And, and, you know, do, do you see similarities when you hear some of the stuff about what's going on today in terms of what you went through? Um, I will say soccer has definitely changed a lot from when I was a kid. Um, you know, like you said, we had ODP, there was obviously, uh, fields and, and teams set up for us to feel like, you know, you make it through this level, then you get picked to go to the next level. There was, um, a stage set for us at each level, I feel like to perform and compete. And, you know, as we got older, compete for scholarships to go to college. But, you know, I think we're still in the process of figuring out what the best route uh, for youth development is in the U.S. And it's, it's challenging because, you know, we're not set up like uh, overseas, you know, where at age five, you could basically be uh, chosen to be the next Messi. You know, I think <laughs> there's, there's definitely different challenges that we face. One, we still have the college system. So, you know, we still face, a route that other countries don't really uh, face. So we, we're just in the process still of figuring out what the best way to, to, you know, motivate and keep the highest level players at a young age, uh, you know, motivated to, to reach the new level. So I feel like, you know, it was a bit of a bummer when I heard about the DA, to be fair, I have some people that work uh, on the girl side. So, you know, them feeling lost at this time, especially during the quarantine is, was really hard to take. You know, I had a couple of conversations with them and, you know, I just told them that, you know, we're going to figure this out. And regardless if your job is going to be with the next new version of DA, I think um, this is just a way for us to transition into something new. And um, I'm at least happy that they're trying to figure it out. And, you know, it's just a bummer because I feel like they spent so much money each year on it. And for it to come to a complete end now is, is kind of crazy to think, but, you know, I'm just hopeful that, they will figure out the best route for our youth to, to reach the highest level because it's been a roller coaster for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. When you were playing at that youth level, um, I, I know that uh, I think I ask you about this probably too often. I joke about mm -hmm. that, but you're always talking, you're always asked about the versatility angle of, mm -hmm. of what you, where you're playing positionally right now. Did that start at a younger age, were you always kind of popping around the field? Were you kind of playing set positions typically? Um, so from what I remember, I mean, goodness gracious, we're going back to the archives. <laughs> way now, back, but, way um, back. Uh, I was always considered a wide midfielder. I think I, I never really played down the middle of the pitch. I mean, if I did, it was probably with like a, you know, a two front. So like, I felt like I could, oops, 
Sorry. Um, so, um, yeah, I've always been a wide midfielder and I felt like when I, um, you know, when I was young, I was always pretty much the player that was like, Hey, we're going to give you this ball in a lot of space, do your thing, you know? And I think, um, as I've gotten older, when I got to maybe 15, 16, 17, that's when I started moving around a little bit more, but you know, never really in the back line, always in attacking, uh, in an attacking role. And then college is when Anson decided to shake things up all the way. And I was like, dude, what are you doing to me? Like, (laughs) You're, you know, you're asking me to play outside back and then asking me to play forward in the same game. So I think college is when I was really like, wow, okay, I'm stepping in, you know, to help the team. I was always usually moved because there was an injury or, you know, someone couldn't go. So I always felt like, you know, I'm, I'm being a great teammate. And that's how I took it was, okay, the team needs me to do this. I'll do it. And then I think as I got, you know, a little bit older, approaching professional uh, time frame. I was like so annoyed with it. I was like, dude, <laughs> I want to play one position. I am just, you know, how can I get better if I'm picked up and moved every other day? I think that's what I took it as is my development is is never going to be the same because I'm constantly trying to learn new things and play new positions. And, um, and it was stressful. That's a lot on anyone young. You know, I get a lot of, you know, questions about how, how can I help my kid see that it's okay to play multiple positions. And I'm like, I wish I had the right formula because I'm still figuring that out, you know? So I think I was probably destined to be the player that was going to be picked up and moved, but it was just a matter of time um, before it happened. So, yeah. Things that that people maybe um, kind of illustrates that for people who don't know, ACC Defender of the Year as a freshman, and then full transition by the time you were a senior, senior year, um, ACC Offensive Player of the Year. Yep full circle there uh, with how Anson Dorrance was using you at UNC. <laughs> yes. Um, I actually, I'm so happy you brought that up because I feel like, you know, those are awards that, you know, one, you know, as a kid, if you get a bunch of awards, like, yeah, at that moment, you're like, Oh, I got a new trophy. But like, you know, you put it down and you kind of probably don't think about it that often. And I think those awards are actually something that I really hold to me till this day is because I feel like it was, such a relief that I was able to see something good come from the idea of me being picked up and moved and playing so many different positions because, you know, I just hold myself to the highest standards everywhere that I play. So, you know, sometimes it's a bit of an insanity thing, but I do think that anytime someone's asking me to play in a different position, I want to be the best. Like I'm not there to just fill the hole. I'm there to make it hard for you to now have to take me off the field. Should someone who, you know, got moved into my old spot, perform well so I just feel like you know receiving awards actually made me feel like you know what I I took on this task and I was able to you know do it to my best ability and and really compete at the highest level in that position yeah and and now I mean even you're jumping between that obviously within sort of different settings from the U.S. at fullback to mm-hmm. the, the central midfielder in the, in the box there with with North Carolina um, I've gotten the sense at least recently, and, and you kind of alluded to it there, you've maybe the past couple of years, you've learned to embrace it more, still getting used yeah. to that? Um, I wouldn't say a couple of years. I would say maybe <laughs> uh, shy of a year. Um, I'm still learning. I still have a bit of resentment at times, but I've learned to, you know, take it as almost like a superpower. I have to just, like you said, embrace it. It's not easy. I think I take two steps forward one day and then one week I'll be back to my same like pissed off self again. But, um, you know, I think it makes me unique. I've always said when I leave this game, I want people to, 
you know, not only think of me as a, you know, a good soccer player, but, you know, someone who is selfless, who is always trying to do the best for the team. And even if that means I'm sacrificing a part of my identity, who I think I should be on the soccer field, I think, you know, being a part of championship teams is, is really all that matters at the end, you know, where you were playing, what role you were playing, I think in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter, but you know, you are human and you do have these emotions that come out at times. And I think I've just learned how to channel them and, and just really compete and, and care only about that. Yeah. And championships, obviously, you know, North Carolina, uh, at, at North, sorry, North Carolina, both is what I meant. UNC <laughs> and, and North Carolina courage with the U S women's national team, uh, with Chelsea as well, which I think is, mm-hmm. is a chapter I want to ask you about because, um, that was, that predated kind of the ease at which we can watch the WSL in the U S. So mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, even myself, I don't think I saw much of any of your play over there, unfortunately, because it wasn't even, even a few years ago, it wasn't something yeah. that was readily accessible. Um, what was that experience like for you? I know it was, it was a slightly different system and yeah. what I gather. And I mean, how was that kind of, was that a challenge you felt like you needed to, to take on? Um, yeah, there were, um, there was a part of me that needed a change. I think, you know, 2016, the team went on to the finals and, you know, it was a very successful year for sure. But I think I sensed a lot of changes to come with the team. And I, you know, I just knew that if I was going to go overseas or take a chance and do anything different, it was going to have to be, you know, after that year and give myself enough time to prepare and, you know, try and be selected for the 2019 world cup. So yeah, the, the decision I made, it was incredible. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was nervous. One living in a different country is never easy. Of course they speak English. So I didn't (laughs) feel that out of sorts, but you know, you're far away from home. You're, you're alone. You're essentially just in this new environment where you, you don't feel as comfortable anymore. I think that's the biggest thing is being able to go to a new place and, and compete where people don't really know you. They're going off of what you're, you're proving day in and day out at that moment. And I think that was really what I loved the most was my teammates embraced me because not because of who I was, because I was American or anything like that, but because I feel like I helped show them, you know, what it is to be an American soccer player, you know, the, the grit, the, the passion, the, you know, competitiveness at all times. I think, you know, all the letters they wrote me when I was departing was, you know, just so heartfelt with, Hey, you know, thank you so much for always encouraging me. Thank you for pushing me and, and just never giving up on our team. And I think that's exactly why I went over there was to just, you know, put myself on the map in a different way and also compete in a, in a, on a different level. The, the level of play was completely different. There was no space. Whereas in the NWSL, there is tons of transitional space. So it was just, you know, there were so many things I added to my game in just a year and some change playing over there. So, yeah. Is there something you felt like you particularly brought back from there? I know some of the U.S. players have gone abroad and maybe as cliche as it might sound, there is kind of, as you said, there's, there's that more emphasis on the technical side and mm-hmm. it's, it's not as transitional as the NWSL. Did you kind of come away saying, you know, that time at Chelsea is what brought, you know, developed X in my game? Yeah, I think I, you know, was put in a position where, I just had to get better technically. There wasn't any transition space. So, you know, the the space that you thought was there to, you know, push the ball and, and be able to not have one player around you for a series of yards, I think 
that was what really initially taught me technicals. You have to be better technical, you know, technically. So I feel like when I got back to the NWSL, I didn't want to rely on my athleticism. I was like, yes, I'm athletic, you know, I'm fast. Great. This game obviously requires a bit of that. However, you know, how much better could I be if I can control the ball in tighter spaces, you know, and things like that. So I think being over at Chelsea definitely added that tool to my, um, to my bag, just feeling more technically sound and, and not relying so much on all the things that do make me a great player, or make me unique, but just really adding new things to my game. And, and you can see that obviously just in what Paul Riley has been asking you to do in that central midfield spot. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not a run and gun position. It's not, yeah. you know, a wide position. It's, it really is kind of the, in the heart and spine of the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So North Carolina, I mean, that was, what was that kind of process of, of coming home? Was that, I know, you know, from just where you grew up and everything, I'm sure you know, you've known Paul for a long time. Was, mm-hmm. was he, yes. uh, was he giving you the sales job on North Carolina? Or what? <laughs> yes, he was, but he wasn't, he wasn't too pushy. I think obviously when news got out that I was coming back to the NBSL, um, you know, teams, a couple of teams were, were interested of course. And, um, like any, everybody knows, moving around in the NWSL is not easy. So it's not as simple as, hey, I want to go to this team or, hey, you know, I want to be there. It's just it, there's a process. So I think for me it was just trying to enjoy my time at Chelsea but also thinking steps forward on what's my life going to be like when I get back into the NWSL. And, of course, um, you know, North Carolina was a great fit. Uh, Paul believed in me as a player and um, obviously brought out the whole, we're going to play a four, two, two, two. And initially I was like, Whoa, Whoa, what is this? Um, but, uh, it, yeah, it was great. When I, when I got back, I will say I was exhausted. 2018 was a really, really tough year for me just physically because I didn't take a break. And of course the competitiveness in me, I was like, I'm not here to show up and be sitting on the sidelines. I want to like be all in. I want to fight to be a starter and a, 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 you know, a top player on the team. So um, but I did that to myself. I, I really pushed myself to really try and get back in the league and make a mark. You know, for me, it's all, it's, it's always been about reinventing yourself every single year and, and being better than you were the year before. So, so yeah. You mentioned a little bit earlier, kind of being on the other side of the, the sort of birth of this dynasty, I'll call it anyway, <laughs> um, when, when the flash beat the spirit in that 16 final, Ooh. um, Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> to bring it up again. again. See, it's brought up. It's always following me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Your teammates are nodding your head somewhere. Their heads somewhere else in the, oh, the country. They, they'll send you a text about it, maybe. Um, <laughs> but that that was kind of the the start of this this flash courage, and and really it's become courage. Are you, you know, you joined that obviously kind of in progress and have been a big part of it since. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you give an idea of what the sort of culture is like there and, and kind of how that team has come together to be so dominant in a league that's kind of built on parity. And, you mm-hmm. know, I think, I think from the outside too, people, you know, I, I know Paul and, and the underdog narrative that people from the outside didn't understand it, but as a competitor, yeah. you can kind of understand how you can take to something like that. Um, what, what was that? What's it been like to kind of build that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the culture is so strong, but it's, it's based on a simple fundamental like principle. You know, I think really what it comes down to is Paul one doesn't care who you are. If you're not performing, you're not performing, you know, you're not playing. So I think, you know, especially as a national team player, one, I should already feel 
with my status that I should be the better, the best, one of the best players on the team. But that doesn't mean I just show up and I am the best player on the team. That means, you know, it's my job, it's my duty to, to push others and also push myself to another level every single day. And I think he really, one, respects national team players, but also respects the idea that we're not better than anybody. We're, you know, key members of the team, but we show up and we have to push the group the same way they're pushing us to be better. So, um, you know, the culture is, in my opinion, pretty much unbreakable because when you have 20 plus people showing up every day wanting to be the, the best that they can be, you know, even if you're going up against a player that's never played a minute in her professional career, she's making sure that you don't get off easy. And I think, um, yeah, I think that's really just what it comes down to is like, you know, the way we play, obviously people feel, you know, feel the pressure when we're obviously playing against them. But, you know, that really is because the work rate we want to put in is the work rate that every individual feels like they need to put in in order to be successful. There's no like cutting quarters. There's, you know, Hey, no, I don't want to do this run. I don't want to, you know, get open for the ball. It's like everybody wants the ball at all times and everybody wants to make recovery runs. And that is really hard to teach, especially, you know, if you're a flashy player that's not used to not defending. Yeah, that can be great. You could be a really great asset, uh, you know, offensively, but you know, you might be feeling like now you're playing a man down if that player doesn't, want to do the work defensively so you know we just take a lot of pride in going forward as a team and and winning the ball back as a team so and the 18 and 19 back-to-back championships um, mm-hmm. very very different games and maybe different journeys as well with how dominant I think that was sort of start to finish in 18 and then mm-hmm. in 19 kind of a little bit after everybody came back from the world cup there was that patch in August that gets talked about that you know, there was a struggle and a a switch had to flip. Um, Do do either of those, is either one of those championships sweeter than the other or? um... Uh, No, winning is winning. You know, (laughs) it doesn't matter how you get there. You just, you know, you want to be that team at the end holding up the trophy, but you know, you touched on it. Each year was different. 2018, you know, we stepped in, stepped onto the scene and I feel like we never took our foot off the the gas. Um, But there was also no distractions. There was no, um, tournament that was pulling players away. There was no shift in, um, you know, the rosters. And I think 2019 definitely presented those challenges. And, you know, the teams that were going to be successful during that patch of missing players was always going to be, be the team that had the best game plan to deal with that scenario. So I think Paul early on in the season, you know, all, already anticipated lineups that were going to take place should the, you know, should the players be leaving at that moment. So, um yeah, we definitely hit a rough patch, I would say, in 2019, but that was to be expected. I think the girls, you know, did whatever they could do in order to secure points and, and put us in the best position when the players did arrive back. But uh, I think overall 2019 was a success just because, you know, we ended the year strong, and I think that's what it comes down to. It's, yes, you want to start strong to, you know, get ahead of the game and, and sort things out early, but there's always going to be ups and downs throughout the season. One Heat is a huge factor. I mean, we're playing during the heat of the summer and we have to travel to Houston. People have to come to us and Orlando. So there's just other challenges throughout the season that, you know, don't go unnoticed. And, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's like I said, it's a rough patch, but you got to get through it and hope that you've secured enough points before and, and after that, that time to uh, go on to, to the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's warm enough in North Carolina. That final, I think, was it was like chilly. Oh my goodness! Yeah, unexpected. We yeah. show up, and I was like, 
wow, this was really, really surprising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was chilly, I think, even that morning. And then all of a sudden everything cleared and it was, maybe it was a thunderstorm and then it was like humid and yeah. just disgusting. But uh, <laughs> it, was, it was gnarly for sure. Yeah. Well, 2019 is, is a year that I want to ask you about on uh, a bigger sense, obviously, with, with the World Cup. Um, mm-hmm. You know, firstly, we talked about kind of that 2015 journey. Um, I'm sure it had to be very reflective for you to, to be there in 2019, to be an essential piece of the team, a starter after having gone through 2015. Yeah. I mean, it's so crazy to think, but you know, 2015 missing out on the world's cup, it felt like obviously I missed a lot, but you know, when I actually add up the days and, and the moments outside of the national team, it really was just the World cup. And I always felt like I was a part of the World Cup leading into the 2015 World Cup, you know? So I felt like, you know, obviously leading into 2019, obviously the thoughts of, all right, Crystal, you're, you're back where you, you, you wanted to get back to. You know, you're, you're on the cusp now of making this roster and 2015 didn't go your way. But I didn't really let those thoughts kind of creep in of, you know, uncertainty or feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm getting a lot of anxiety about it. I think. I always knew with, with hard work and really just staying the course that I was going to essentially be where I needed to be. So, um, you know, I was really proud and, and honored to be a part of 2019, but I think, you know, all the preparation I did leading into that year was, was pouring my heart and soul into every training, you know, pouring it out into every camp and, and, and even things that didn't go well, I, I handled it so much differently than I did in 2015. So I was just prepared more for the uphill battles, you know? Mm-hmm. And playing, you know, in that fullback position, um, mm-hmm. obviously a ton of tests, really every step of the way, it's, it's a World Cup. So I guess that, that maybe goes without <laughs> saying, but um, I, think, I think I've seen you mention this before, but was the, the quarterfinal for you the one that felt like, um, I don't know if a proving ground is, is the word or the term, yeah. but. I know where you're hinting at. <laughs> yes. um, no, certainly. I think. One, I'm really happy that I was not on social media in the World Cup. I think that was probably the greatest thing that I could do for myself and for the team. So, you know, obviously with that being said, things things get back to you, you know. So leading into the France game, one, there was already so much media about, are you guys trying to avoid France or do you guys really want to play them in, you know, in the host countries and all this and that. So there was a lot of just media all around the game. And then I think personally – I did feel, uh, you know, attacked. I felt like people were making out to be like I was the weak link of the team. And obviously those thoughts don't feel great. Those ideas that people have of me are not uh, ideal in that moment. But, you know, I took it as a challenge. I was like, I know who I am. I know that doesn't matter uh, if I make a mistake here or there. I think that's what I really had to wrap my head around is that so many people thought, that their standards for me was that I should never make a mistake. Oh, Chris, oh, there she goes. She made a mistake. And I think once I kind of blocked out the standards that people had for me and actually just played to my standards, I think that the game felt simple to me. It was, you know, stay connected to your back line. You're going up against top forwards, so you know they're going to be crafty. They're going to be pacey. But at the end of the day, like, you know, you're on the same playing field. So I think the whole friends game for me was each moment, each play felt big. But once I, you know, made a big tackle. I was like, all right, cool. Next one. 
all right, next one, you know? So I just stayed very much in the moment and kind of just tried to stay true to who I was as a player and just simplify the game, you know? Um, like I said, a lot of distractions during the World Cup, especially leading into that game. And I just wanted to do my best for the team. And that meant blocking out everybody, keeping my emotions in check because it did bother me. It did affect me. I felt like there were days leading into the game that I was like emotional and upset that, you know, people really made it seem like I was incapable of, you know, playing on this field and being in this tournament almost. So, um, yeah, I think all in all, the game felt like a final. And I, once we got past that game, I was like, crap, now we got England. So this just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I actually just recently rewatching that cause FIFA has kind of been re-airing them. Um, yeah. I certainly from my perspective, when I'm at a game in a press box versus rewatching on TV, um, rewatching that the other week, I think, did, I did notice how much even more involved than I realized you were in sort of the flow of, of 1v1 battles and plays mm-hmm. in that game specifically. So um, did I, I know like Mal Pugh mentioned she deleted stuff off of her phone, like Instagram and that. Is that kind of the level that you went to for, for kind of tuning things out or? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I'm pretty sure I probably deleted like the Twitter app and Instagram app off my phone, but like I said, even when you do that, you just feel like words are able to like leak through. You know, we, we did a good job, I think, of keeping our, our bubble tight. We, you know, we always felt like we can lean on each other should there be an issue individually. But like I said, these things get out, especially if you're watching, you know, I think BBC was on and obviously it's in English in France. So you felt like, oh, I'm just going to turn on some news. And then you're like, why did I do that? Right. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, like I said, we tried our best to just tune it out. And, you know, I think we did overall a really good job. Mm-hmm. And obviously you mentioned England and then progressing past England to, to play the Netherlands in the final. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but that moment for you being a world cup champ, I mean, you went through um, first, I guess, most major of, of all the titles. I know you said a, a championship's a championship, but surely the, the world cup is kind of above all else, I would guess. Right? Yes, definitely. Yes, for sure. Um, I, I can only imagine, Actually, going back, I think about my conversations I had with Julie leading into the final. And at that point, we were both around, you know, 90, 91 caps. And I just kept saying to Jules, we need to win this World Cup for me because um, I don't want to be that player that reaches 100 caps and, like, doesn't have one medal to, like, stand for anything, you know? So um, she just laughed and was like, Chris, we're going to get it done. And, um, you know, that was all the confidence that I needed in that conversation with her was just we're good. You know, we made it here. It's the hardest thing to get into a final. And now actually the pressure is so far removed that you just feel like you could just go out and play and, and not treat it as a normal game, but you know, it really is the pressure going, getting into the final that weighs on you more than actually being and playing in a final. Yeah. And a hundred caps you've reached since you got to celebrate pretty much right down the road from home, right? Yeah. um, In, in Red Bull arena in New Jersey. And, um, I think that was that was the game we kept wondering from the press box what was going on with your arm. And then- <laughs> Everyone was like, "Is your arm okay? Is it broken?" And I was like, "No, my captain's band. They made it too big. Ugh, I should have gotten measured for it." Obviously, yeah. leading to the game. But uh, funny enough, Carly, I gave it to Carly uh, in the second half, and she was like, "You know what, dude? It was falling off me a little bit too." So I was like, "See, it's not just me. It's everybody." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, you know, reaching that hundred, um, getting honored, um, wanted to kind of talk a little bit, kind of the, the last few minutes here of, um, maybe the off the field, the fun side, the, the lighter side, um, 
you know, you mentioned in Washington meeting your now husband, um, mm-hmm. Pierre Soubier, who, mm-hmm. who also works for a rival team, uh, the Portland <laughs> Thorns. Yes. <laughs> what, what is that like for, for you both? I mean, going through a season and, and certainly North Carolina, Portland is, you know, it, rivals, really like the rivalry at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So I would say when he, you know, told me that he was going to get the job of working for the Thorns, I was like, you know, my initial thoughts were great. I, you know, I'm happy, you know, it's a great stepping stone for potentially maybe if you want to work in the MLS, like, this is awesome, you know? And of course I think down the road, we were like, yeah, we get to see each other a little bit more. Every time we play each other, like, you know, there's a chance that I can now see you. Um, And then the season started and that's when all the problems happened. It started with him voting Tobes' goal, goal of the week over mine. And that's when I said, hold up. I think we need to have a little family discussion, you know, but it's all jokes. I think we definitely um, hammered down a good, you know, a good rhythm. I think we try to not talk too much about work, but of course it's always going to be brought up, but you know, he's very professional. He doesn't tell me anything obviously that doesn't need to be told to anyone outside of his organization. But you know, if there's anything, you know, soccer wise that's going on with me, I feel like we can still have those conversations and, and uh, limited fights, I should say. So uh, we definitely sorted it out. It's all good. We're supportive of each other. Um, I will say, though, we still haven't really managed to figure out the best way after games. Should one team beat the other, it's always two hour long of like silence. I remember texting him after we uh, last played them in in uh, Portland and he didn't respond to my text messages for like two hours. And I was like, dude, come on, you didn't even play today. Like, you can't be that mad. Like, <laughs> That was the six, the six nil game last yeah. year. Oh, boy. That was yeah, a tough one. I know. Yeah, that was a tough one for Portland. That was uh one of those those wild NWSL late night games. It was wild. It was wild. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what's what's um? I mean, you guys are sort of figuring out right now, as we said, the the sort of quarantined life here. Um, mm-hmm. What what's kind of keeping you busy at, at the moment beyond trying to work out, stay sane, and all of that? Yeah, I think. Um, well, so he's obviously still working from home, which is actually good because it gives him like a little bit of the morning into the early afternoon to just have his own space, do his own thing. Cause I think that's important. Finding space in a quarantine is hard these days. So, um, so it's good that he kind of does his thing. I do my thing, but we started puzzling. We play games. Um, we train together. So obviously you did mention training, but um, you know, we do soccer, tennis, we, you know, anything that can kind of just keep us preoccupied. Cause I think there is so much downtime now that, more downtime that people have ever had in their whole life in a sense so I feel like it um you got to fill it with something and we like to play games we're super competitive so it um definitely doesn't end well sometimes but uh we are definitely into games and and definitely playing soccer together yeah I imagine that's probably helpful that that you both have that background obviously yeah definitely um are you missing the team environment I mean I know you know everything from not just on the field but you know, I know the locker room, you, you got the mm-hmm. music. I know you're, you're usually in control of the music, right? Yes, yes. I am missing definitely a lot of aspects of the game and, and obviously just the, the day-to-day uh, daily stuff, you know, walking to the locker room, making jokes with the girls and, and getting out and competing on the training field. But um, I'm a, I try to be a glasses half full kind of person. Um, sometimes I'm the opposite. But um, in this moment, it's, it is unfortunate. We're all, you know, told to stay home. We can't have access to people that we don't live with, but 
Um, I do think, like I said, this is the most time I've spent with my husband. And I think that's really something we could take away from this time. And we're going to look back and be like, remember that time we were trapped together? Like, you know, we, we, we did all right for that moment, you know? So I think, um, you know, we, we've been dealing with it. We figured out a way to just, you know, not get caught up in, in, um, the news. I think it's really hard to watch the news. It's good to stay informed, but I think every day we're just like, okay, things have not really changed too much. So let's just keep our mind off of, off of it and, and fill it with something that we want to just share together. So, um, yeah, I do miss the team, but I think, you know, at least being trapped with my husband isn't the end of the world <laughs> for now, at least I should say. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, wrapping up, I mean, looking forward a little bit and, and maybe looking forward to a happier time when things are back to normal and, and hopefully very soon. Um, Olympics obviously are delayed a year now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have the, the 2016 experience. I should mention that, you know, that is, I think something that gets talked to, yeah, is that yes. building block. Um, <laughs> but what are you, you know, the Olympics are the obvious one, but what are you kind of looking forward to? We've talked so much about kind of the progression of your career. Um, 27 still, you know, plenty of career in front of you. What's mm-hmm. kind of, what's kind of like your vision here for the immediate so, future? Yeah. I mean, you've kind of hinted, it, hinted to it before about feeling like a veteran, you know, and, Jules and I make this joke all the time on the national team that we, you know, we're in the middle right now. We're what keep, what connects the the veterans to the younger girls. So we're really pretty much in the middle. And I think what I'm looking forward to is obviously competing and playing in an Olympics. You know, I think that's my next and only focus for this moment is just trying to stay ready and, and be prepared for that moment. Um, but I do think after that year, there's going to be a shakeup in the national team. Who knows uh, who's staying, who's leaving, things like that. So I think it's just, I'm looking forward to, should I still be a member of the national team? Um, you know, just leading the group. I think that's the new thing that I have to wrap my head around is that, you know, I was that kid that was new on the team and hiding in the back whenever we had to, you know, raise, uh, say anything and have a voice in anything. I was like, no, I'm just going to keep my hands down and not say anything, you know? So now I actually have to feel comfortable and more comfortable being that voice for the team, being in meetings and important meetings and, and voting on important things and things like that. So, um, that'll be my next challenge in the next couple of years is really, you know, holding tight to the, the veterans and asking them how they manage to, you know, be the player in person that they are at this point and, and really lean on them a little bit more these years. And, see what 2021 and 2021 has to offer. Yeah. Well, looking forward to that. You're using that veteran word even more already since we started here. Put it on me. Why'd you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, Crystal Dunn-Soubier, thank you for joining me. Thank Uh, you. I'm kicking back. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Kicking Back, a podcast by The Equalizer. If you like what you heard, and we certainly hope you did, please go ahead and rate and review this pod. The more you do that, the easier it is for other people to discover this show and hear compelling stories from some of the most interesting people in women's soccer. Keep an eye out for our next episode when we kick it with our latest guest.